0: Let's do a podcast, huh? Let's do one of these. I think we will reach a point where everybody has a podcast and they just tell their friends and family to listen to it. And that's how you'll know what's going on in my life. Literally 100% of all humans on planet Earth will have a podcast one day. And that is how we will stay in touch. There will be no more text messages, no more phone calls, no more hanging out. Just simply stream that person's podcast And that is going to be how you catch up with them and know what's going on in their world. So this is episode 22. This is what it looks like. Me in a chair, pouring out my heart into a microphone, complaining, whining, maybe dropping some wisdom along the way. Maybe not. Maybe telling a story or two. And as always, I welcome you to interact. Even though it feels like this is just a solo mission, no, nah, we can interact. You can reach me on Twitter at jrosenberg957. Love to tweet, tweet, tweet a little. Tweetily deet, huh? Anybody? Actually, I realized a lot of people are on Twitter but never tweet. They just like the stream. They just like to see the stream of the people they follow. I'm kind of like that. Although I tweet maybe a few times a month. All right, so taking over this daddy daycare daughter duty daddy duty, daughter daycare. daddy dee 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 Taking over this responsibility of having a human to care for. I figured in the morning, I got to feeder, I got to change her. I got to entertain her. I got to welcome her into the world. I don't have time for a 12-year-old beagle anymore. So I downloaded the app, WAG. And then I downloaded another app, Rover. If you're in the dog community out there, you know these apps. It's kind of like Uber, but instead of a driver coming to get you, a random stranger who you communicate with a little bit, comes to walk your dog. They knock on your door, they have a price tag, you put in your credit card information, so it's all paid for in the cyber world. And by the time they come to your door, you just give them the leash, you give them the dog. Maybe some treats, maybe some bags. These are supposed to be professionals, right? So this lady, who I met once before, we did the consultation, she came and met Mugsy. She comes this morning, and immediately my dog won't get up doesn't even want to say hello to her, doesn't want the walk. So I actually put the leash around him and I shove him. I physically shove him out the door. I say, get the fuck out of here. Go walk with this stranger. And I see out of the peephole, I look out of the peephole and I see her immediately give him a treat. God, noop, noop. Because now he doesn't care about anything else. He's just going to hound her the rest of the walk. Now I know I could have given more instructions. All right, fast forward 20 minutes. She actually calls me. Sir, your dog is not walking. I don't think she was almost in tears, but in my head she was. She was being tortured by a dog who doesn't walk because he was just staring at her, knowing she was the fountain of more treats. And she said, I gave him all the treats I have. What do you want me to do? He won't walk. And I kind of said, well, that's your job to at least get him back home to me, right? I already paid you. Just at least get him back home to me. And by the time she got to my front door, there was a mutual agreement that this is... The last time I will ever see her. This is it. I don't think she was fired. I don't think she quit. Somewhere in the middle, though, we agreed. All right, no more. I said, I'll just do these walks. I'll just put on the ergo, pop the baby in the front backpack, and walk the dog. I'll do all the walks. Thank you for the apps, Rover, and Wag. And I bet there's some legitimate dog walkers, some real pros, some real capable and competent dog walkers out there. But this lady really wasn't one of them. She did her best, I assume. But add that to the book of Muggsy abusing people. Just wouldn't walk. All right, clearly none of that matters. But I thought about what does matter. I did. comes down to one word. You ready for this? Grab a pen. Okay. Does it have ink? If it doesn't, doesn't that cause you at least five seconds of rage when you try to write something down real quick and the pen doesn't have ink? All right, but grab a pen with ink. Write down this word. Here's what matters. Maybe the only thing in life that matters comes down to one word relationships. And I know what you're picturing, maybe husband, wife, maybe friendships, maybe family members. No, no, no. Way beyond that. Relationships. So what matters in life? You know, what's important when you reach adulthood and you start to dig deep into your brain and say, all right, what's the purpose? What are we really doing here? Wandering through life. Relationships. Your relationship, sure, with people means a lot. Your relationship with your career, the people in your career or the career itself, your relationship with government, the people that lead you, that make policies. That means a lot. Do you support these people? Do you despise these people? I'm not just talking about the president of the United States. Could be local government, your city councilman, your mayor, a governor, a senator. So relationships with the people who are making decisions for you. Your relationship with the earth. So to come at you like an environmentalist for a moment. You know, how do you relate with the earth? Are you in a state of symbiosis? Should have Googled that word before I used it, but I'm guessing I might have used it correctly. Are you in a state of symbiosis with the earth? Are you doing good things for the earth? What's your relationship like with nature, plants? What's your footprint like? Your relationship with electronics, your phone? What's your relationship like with pop culture, how you consume TV, radio, podcasts, these are all relationships. You can whittle it down to one word. And yes, this is up for debate. You could dispute all of this and say, what about health? You can't worry about that. Relationships, to me, sound like something you could at least try to control. You could try to control the relationships in your life, right? You could try. Doesn't always work, but you could try. There are some things you can't even try to control, so you might as well not even worry about those. Yeah, health and the fear of death. You know, these things, of course, they linger every day. And for some people, it causes great anxiety. For me, sometimes it'll cause great anxiety to worry about the people I love falling into poor health or myself falling into poor health. But that's not a relationship. That's just a thought. Can't control it. Might as well not worry about it. But everything else in the world can come down to relationships because... If they go well, you feel good. If a few of them are off kilter, you don't feel good anymore. Think about that. If all the relationships in your life were good, except one with your friend, you guys had some beef, had a little friction, had a little static, or with a parent, or with a spouse. If One of the relationships that you truly care about is off, going through a little rough patch, then all of a sudden your world feels a little askew, feels a little off. And I'm going somewhere with this thought. We do desire Order, which is one of the most ridiculous things we can desire as people. When I say order, I guess the opposite of chaos and conflict and controversy. We like order. How to define order? I don't really know. Maybe you wake up, you feel good, your body functions, you have a job to go to and a salary that allows you to survive or wages that allow you to at least get the bare minimum that you need. Order. You're not in fights with people. You don't have a lot of controversy in your life. You're disease-free. This is me trying to define order, something that I guess we strive for. Your car runs, your fridge is full of food, you get enough fitness in your life, you sleep well. All right, you get it. That's order. But I don't think we are entertained by order. And here's how I know that. Most of the great TV shows we've seen and the great TV show characters out there are not presenting smooth experiences. They're not even likable people, not people you would even want to be friends with. A lot of the best TV show characters and TV shows involve controversy and unlikable characters. And I was thinking about this because I'm watching a damn show on HBO right now called Succession. Succession is full of only unlikable characters that make you scream at the TV, how much you hate them, how much you vehemently hate them in every scene. You don't like anything about them. That's the show, Succession. It's about an old tycoon, an old corporate tycoon at the top of his empire in New York City. He has like a television network and a bunch of amusement parks, seems to be a multi-billionaire. And then his kids are scurrying to see what aspects of the business they can take over. What's the hierarchy going to be? There's four kids, I believe. And one of the sons wants to be the CEO. Another son wants to be the COO. One of them wants to be the director of marketing. Another wants to be involved with this and that and this. And guess what? They're all inept. All of them are inept. So it's really just every scene, these kids, adult kids of the big tycoon Grappling with the idea of our dad is dying. How do we take over this business? Now, that description I just gave you probably doesn't have you saying, well, I'd love to see it. And even worse, when I say nobody is likable, you're thinking, then why would I want to watch it? But there's something weird that brings you in. And I think people are drawn to shit that they don't necessarily enjoy that reflects the opposite of order. I don't want to see a TV show with characters who are all in order. The way I described what some people desire, order. No sickness, all your needs are met, no disarray, no controversy. Things we kind of say we want in our lives, which would make us feel, I guess, successful in some way if our lives are in order. But that's not how life is. As the Buddhists tell us, suffering, that's what life is. And once you get comfortable with that thought, that there is going to be some disarray in your life, the only way to make sense of that is, and you'll learn from it, and you'll learn from it. You never know in the moment, right? Think about a time when you felt low, low, whether it was unemployment or heartbreak or sickness, you felt low. Well, do you learn more from that or do you learn more from the times in your life where you're feeling on top of the world? Of course, you'll learn more from the lows. You just don't know while you're in the low. So back to succession for a moment. This show is so fucking bad. And I can't miss a minute, and I can't wait for the next episode. And as I scream at the TV how much I hate them, I actually do talk to the TV. I never thought I was that annoying guy, but I am. Oh, yeah, I am. I'll talk to the TV. I'll probably annoy my wife every scene and just remind her how much I hate everybody on this show. And there's no order. It's total controversy the whole time. And I realized that's the best TV. It's really the best TV. You know, Seinfeld, one of the greatest shows of all time. None of them are really likable, and that's what the finale was all about, putting everybody, all the characters on trial to talk about how Jerry, George, Kramer, and Elaine are really not great people. And who was one of the main writers, creators? Larry David. Larry David's character, which seems to be him on Curb Your Enthusiasm, the HBO masterpiece, is not likable. Most people can't stomach Larry. I find him to be relatable, identifiable for me in many ways, and I hate to admit that, but it's true. The Social Assassin. To me, he's the voice of reason a lot of the time, but the way his character is drawn on that show, and maybe it's him, maybe it's not, maybe it's a hybrid, is totally unlikable. Total jerk. Not somebody you would necessarily want to be friends with, but when he's on your television, it's a pretty good show. Like I said, Archie Bunker, blatant racist. All in the family. One of the most popular shows of all time. People love that character, Archie Bunker. (laughs) We love Archie. Total racist on network television. Mr. Furley, he's another character I've loved on television. Mr. Furley was a total homophobe. Did not want Jack living with those two ladies if he was straight. Actually, I think he was a homophobe. I don't exactly remember. Sorry, it's been a while. Mr. Roper was a homophobe, right? One of them was. So these are unlikable characteristics and traits and qualities of characters that were highly watchable and entertaining for some reason. You get into sports radio, or any radio, or maybe even some podcasts. There are unlikable hosts out there who get high ratings. Even Howard Stern when he started. People hated him. People were so upset. It's too sexual. It's too scathing, his style of radio. Shock jock. But his ratings proved, people listen. Rush Limbaugh. Most people you talk to about Rush will express how much they hate him, but his ratings are good. In the sports radio world, Jim Rome. He's had a marvelous career. Totally arrogant, egomaniac. He'll spend one segment interviewing somebody and then the very next segment complimenting himself on how great the interview went. Very annoying host. I've actually never understood Jim Rome's popularity, but maybe I'm in the minority. I find him to be obnoxious. But that's my point. A lot of these successful, either TV characters, TV shows, radio shows, even movies, They involve things that are out of order, and we're drawn to it. Because we don't want it in our own world, but we want to look at it. That's my theory. That's my philosophy. We don't want it invading our lives. Chaos. We don't want chaos in our life. But damn, we like to look at it. And sometimes when it feels a little relatable, it brings us some weird comfort. Weird comfort, I guess. Nobody would watch a show where every character is likable, And everything always works out. In every scene, you need a little conflict, don't you? You need some jerks. You need some bastards. You need some downright evil motherfuckers for it to be a good storyline. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. There's so many shows right now on Amazon Prime and Netflix and HBO. There's so many shows where you watch them and you go, oh, well, I hate everybody and I can't wait for the next one. All right, but beyond any show, forget any show right now. Let me jump into the literary world. There's a book that made my heart beat faster than it's ever beaten before while reading. The most riveting final 20 to 30 pages of any book is the book I talked about on the last podcast, Born a Crime, Trevor Noah, his memoir, the host of The Daily Show. All right, spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you how the book ends. So stop listening right now unless you want me to just blow the ending. If you plan to read this book, you could stop listening right now no hard feelings. If you already read the book, keep listening. And if you know for a fact, you'll never read this book. Keep listening. The last time I talked about this book, Born a Crime, Trevor Noah, the history of apartheid, his own personal family history as well. I said, I have about 30 pages to go. I didn't realize it would become this much of a thrill ride. I was sweating. Reading the final 30 pages of this book, it went in a direction where I was saying, no way, no fucking way did that happen. No way. No way. And it remains a cliffhanger. I'm going to tell you what happened. I'm going to connect it to the world of religion for a moment. I don't really talk a lot about religion, but this book involves a lot of the aspects of religion that are pretty fascinating. So here's how it ends. Trevor Noah's mom, we all know, black woman had intercourse with a white man from Switzerland in South Africa. Trevor Noah is born. She was never married to this man. They never even really had a relationship. She just wanted a son. And this white man knew it was a crime. She knew it was a crime because blacks and whites were not supposed to procreate in South Africa under apartheid. It was an actual law. I discussed all that. So Trevor Noah is born, has to be hidden learns a bunch of languages, identity crisis all over the place. But the mom eventually gets together with a guy named Abel. Abel is a big, tall, strong, alcoholic mechanic who is 100% physically and emotionally abusive to Trevor and his mother. Every page worse than the last. The things that Abel does. But finally, after years and years and years of abuse, Trevor graduates high school. He moves out. The mom finally, after so many unwarranted beatings, finally leaves him. And in a way, she becomes unlikable in this book for exposing her young children to this guy, Abel, and continually forgiving him and forgiving him and forgiving him and allowing him back in their lives. But finally, she says, adios, enough. Goes off with another man, has another child. And one day when she is coming back from church, Trevor Noah is probably 19 or 20 years old at this point. One day when his mom is coming back from church, Abel greets her on the front lawn with a gun and shoots her. Right there, in front of her kids, in front of her family, her new husband. Shoots her in the leg. Looks like he's going to shoot her young son, so she jumps in front shoots her again, and then one of the bullets goes right through the back of her neck and through her cheek, but it doesn't hit anything that would kill her. And the doctors said, this is an absolute miracle. And then this guy Abel has the gun to Trevor Noah's mother's head and keeps firing, but the bullets aren't coming out. And this was not like a broken gun. The way Trevor Noah describes it is that the bullets were supposed to come out and kill his mom that day but they didn't. The bullets stopped coming out and there were bullets in there. I know this sounds like it's fiction, but this madman Abel on the front lawn greets Trevor Noah's mom with all of these bullets that don't kill her. Now her nose is busted, cheek is busted, leg is busted, so she is rushed to the hospital. That is when Trevor Noah's younger brother calls him and says, Trevor, mom's been shot. So Trevor comes to the hospital. hears all about it. This guy, Abel, then plans to kill himself, but one of his relatives talks him out of it, so he turns himself in. And I guess the cops in South Africa, a bit of an old boys network, he doesn't really get much of a sentence. Today, in Johannesburg, this guy Abel is still alive, and he is still walking around free. I don't know if I did a great job describing just how insane reading this unfolding was, but the fact that the mom is still alive is a miracle it truly is a miracle and i don't know if anybody listening has ever been a part of a miracle or witnessed a miracle or you feel like you see miracles every day i don't know if a miracle has ever happened to me a true miracle but reading about this gun to her head bullets don't fire she gets to live and the last page of the whole book is the mom telling trevor that's god's work all right so she takes the religious way of thinking about it that's god's work And the book ends and you go, whoa, maybe it was. Even if you're not religious, you go, huh, that's one of those real miracles. Maybe it is God's work. One thing Trevor Noah never puts in the book that Terry Gross brought out of him when she interviewed Trevor Noah is that the mom converted to Judaism. So when she talks about God... Who knows who she's talking about? Because the first part of the book is mainly her going to church and worshiping Jesus Christ. And then, as Trevor Noah said, but yeah, she converted to Judaism. But all in all, she says, God saved me. And me, the reader, I don't think it's up to me to agree or disagree. I just marvel at this woman who took it all in stride with grace and said, yeah, that was God's work. Moved on with her life. Apparently not haunted by it at all. Interestingly, God, just the idea of talking about God is connected to prayer. And what is prayer to somebody like me? It's when you put your hands together, like the thanks emoji, and just look up at the sky and make a wish for something good, right? Like, I hope my baby remains in good health. Or I hope I have a successful marriage. Or I hope my parents live long lives. I actually do this. What am I doing? Am I truly praying to God? There are so many people who are not religious, I'm guessing atheists, agnostics, that still say a little mini prayer here and there. A little mini prayer here and there. When your prayers do get answered, though, you got to wonder, hmm, what's going on? This just became a religious podcast. I'm changing the whole theme. The whole theme is going to be religion uh, or not. But there are some things you will read in history, maybe some things you've experienced as well, that are truly miracles. And those instances, those experiences are so interesting to think about when you can't chalk it up to anything natural or logical or feasible or plausible. You just have to look up at the stars and you go, all right, something cosmic is going on. Something mystical is going on. You hear some stories like this. I've heard some Holocaust survivors tell their story. It's miraculous how some of these people actually got out of the camps. It's insane to think about. All right, transitioning out of this is not easy because it got a little too deep, got in the deep end, got to get back to the kiddie pool for a moment because I've been promising and promising to finally talk about Louis C.K. just for a moment. Actually, no, this does go back to religion. Louis C.K.'s last stand-up special on Netflix called 2017 has the greatest joke ever written about religion, ever. And it was a brilliant set altogether. You know, he asked the crowd, it's 2017, what does that mean? Has the world been around for 2017 years? No, a little longer, I would say. But we all have just collectively agreed to call it 2017. Yeah, what year were you born? 1981. And his point is, all right, Christ believers, you win. You're dominating. Because in every country, they pretty much go off this calendar where we all call it 2018. Even the Hebrew calendar, I realize it's probably 55 something. But you go to Israel, the year is 2018. You go to Africa, what's the year? 2018. Go to Europe. What's the year 2018? Go to Australia. Go to North America, South America, Central America. What year is it? It's 2018. All right, Christ has won. We get it. And Louis C.K. obviously made it very funny. But he pointed out so many of the ridiculous things that we just accept, which is what a good comic should do, and he proved that he's very smart. And then the next story you hear about Louis C.K. is he likes to masturbate in front of women and put them into precarious situations. So Louis C.K. was never, like, arrested. It was never viewed as truly criminal behavior. There was no Louis C.K. trial, but the man is currently under a rock. And this became a scandal because women came forward and said, Louis C.K. made me uncomfortable. We did not want to see him masturbate, and he continued to masturbate in front of us. And guess what? His stand-up comedy talks about a lot of masturbation. Loves talking about masturbation. Turns out, Not a surprise at all that he actually incorporates masturbation into his relationships. Working relationships, professional relationships, friendships. Even Sarah Silverman said, yeah, he's done that in front of me. They're friends. You know, they didn't have a sexual relationship, but she's like, oh, yeah, Louis would do that. You know, kind of dismissive. Like, yeah, we're all comics. We do some wild shit. But the ladies who came forward, the time was right to bury him. And the time should always be right for women to voice their truths and their experiences, their negative experiences, where they've been harassed or forced to do things they don't want. But it all stems back to the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And then it branched off into this big discussion. Well, okay, that's criminal and that's not criminal. And then there's this gray area. The Louis C.K. nonsense, I'm not sure how you view it, you know, Maybe it's up for debate. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But it's so obvious he's going to have a monster comeback. That's what I've been meaning to say, is that a lot of top-tier celebrities can make a comeback, and the American public is the most forgiving bunch of motherfuckers out there. Think about Mike Tyson. The guy goes to prison on rape charges. The guy bit off Evander of Holyfield's ear. The guy... Has been terrible. And all of a sudden he's in a one-man show. Selling out theaters. There's documentaries about him. People can't stop watching him. He's been in movies. The Hangover. And there's been like a Mike Tyson renaissance. Where now he's likable in a weird way. He's been welcomed back into society. You know, People are just ready for anybody who's messed up. To apologize. Maybe turn the corner. Admit their mistakes. And succeed again. It's weird. Michael Vick. The whole dogfighting saga he goes to jail he apologizes he now teams up with PETA good looking guy so of course he's now an NFL analyst back on his feet there's like a recipe to this you gotta lay low for a little while Roseanne Roseanne Barr just had some racist tweets they canceled the show Roseanne which probably never should have been on TV in the first place and now she's going to apologize is she done forever no no she'll be back but it's always weird when it happens to a comedian because comedians are like I'm a comedian I don't play by your set of rules. I'm counterculture. I view life in a different way. This is how I make a living. And then I express my thoughts and either you laugh or you don't. But then when you hear about some things that happen behind closed doors, like let's not forget Bill Cosby was a comedian, there's a difference between criminal behavior and then just gross, just messing up badly, putting people in uncomfortable situations like the Aziz Ansari nonsense as well. I feel like I don't even need to provide that many details. Most people have already read about all this. There was a point, I feel like it's calmed down a little bit, but there was a point where it was like a new celebrity every day. Charlie Rose, Kevin Spacey, and on and on and on and on the list went. However, with Louis, you know he's going to capitalize on this. You know it. He was too big. He was too good. He was too talented for this to be the end. That'd be way too weird if we've seen the last of Louis C.K., if he never puts out another special. And the whole special is going to be about this. He's a comic. He has to speak of his truths, just like Richard Pryor proved is the best form of comedy. Speak about your truths. Make it self-deprecating. Destroy yourself. And the crowd will react in a way where they go, yeah, I like this. Not in my own life. I like order in my own life. But this disarray that I'm seeing on stage or on my TV, this unlikable character, I could watch this. It's weird how we consume pop culture. We want our lives to be in order, which is obviously... Not the right way to live because it'll set you up for disappointment. But when we see it on TV or on Twitter or hear about it on radio or we see a bunch of jerks, for some reason, it's entertaining. Admit it, if you heard that Louis C.K. is about to do a special and in this special he's going to talk about the recent scandals he was a part of, you would watch. It'd be the highest rated comedy hour, maybe ever. I even feel like podcasts, when I listen to them, I like to hear about the dark underbelly, the nitty gritty of people's lives. Whenever somebody's interviewed, I want to hear them talk about the struggles, the failures. There's something relatable about all this shit. Even this podcast, if you're listening to it, you don't want it to be some sort of self-promotion. I do this and I do that and I'm this and I'm that. And here's my great life. And everybody tune in and stream. Here we go. Fuck all that. You want to hear about the lows. You want to hear about the sleep deprivation that happens with a new baby. You want to hear about my hair turning gray a little bit. You want to hear about a girl who dumped me at my bar mitzvah in 1994. Great story. You want to hear about my awful dog who makes my life so much more stressful. And apparently I want to talk about it. All right, all in there. I appreciate you tuning in. I love you all. This will become an Oscars acceptance speech now. I'd like to thank my agents, Barry Abramowitz, Alfred Weinstein, Abe Cohen, I'd like to thank mom, dad, my wife, and of course, God, because this is now a religious podcast. I will thank God for making episode 22 happen. All right. So in the end, tell me if you're enjoying Succession on HBO, never heard of it, or maybe now your interest has peaked a little bit. Now you want to watch it, huh? All right. Episode 22. Adios. It's in the books. It's in the toilet. It's flushed away. Goodbye. I'll talk to you soon.